This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 47. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreau. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is Session 47 brought to you by our friends over at Gearsluts.com, Audio Technica, and Universal Audio. And, uh... Moto the Bulldog, out snoring in the other room as loud as he possibly can. I had to move him out of the room. That was just intense. He was in here just going, oh, man, it was terrible. <laughs> I love that guy. He's, he's such a sweetheart, but God, he snores. Anyhow, I got a great interview on today, a very lively interview with the always outspoken and uh, really enjoyable uh, people to talk with, John Vanderslice of Tiny Telephone Studios. Uh, John, of course, is a solo artist. And he's also the uh, owner of Tiny Telephone Studios, a studio that's been around the Bay Area now for going on almost 18 years. Big analog advocate. So, of course, you know, we're going we're gonna to disagree on that. <laughs> You'll hear that in the interview. Uh, but John's, John's a blast. I love hanging out with him and uh, super passionate. Sorry, that's my notes. I'm rattling around. You got to have notes if you're going to do this show. Otherwise, you just get lost. Yeah, so John Vanderslice is coming up. I went over to Tiny Telephone Studio A. We talked about the new Tiny Telephone being built in Oakland, California. We'll get into all that. Okay, so, um, you know, in the spirit of turning you on to things that I'm trying out and digging, there's a company called um, Synchro Arts, and you can check them out, synchroarts.com. They make this product called Revoice Pro. It does a lot of different things. First of all, it does pitch correction. And it can do um, time alignment between two vocalists, for example. So I was working on this Americana record, and some of the vocal tracks were done a little bit in a hurry because we had so many tracks we were doing. And there was a male vocalist and a female vocalist. And in many cases, they needed to be singing together. Imagine that. So the timing was a little off here and there. So it sounded like, okay, I'm going to just need to recut these vocals. End of story. But I, uh, I came across the Synchro Arts product, downloaded the demo, and it was in Pro Tools at, uh, at the time I was doing that. And so it's an audio suite type thing. And I just hit, you know, sample the female vocal, apply her timing and phrasing to the male vocal, and boom, like magic. I got to tell you, the thing worked. And of course, I could have redone the vocal tracks, but the band's budget was already constrained to begin with, and I needed to like really think this through and make this work for them. And this thing did amazing work on this thing. I'm really liking it for mixing. Not to say that people don't use it for mixing and, and, and stuff, but uh, it's pretty cool. I'm not an expert at everything that it does, but it's really uh, something that I think I'm going to be digging into here for a while. So... You should check it out. Go to SynchroArts.com. Uh, they have a few products, Revoice Pro, Vocal Line Pro. I'm sure you've heard of Vocal Line. Um, Titan. I'm not really sure what Titan is yet, but uh, Revoice Pro is what I was checking out. Go to the demo section. Yeah, check it out. It's pretty cool. What else? What else? Oh, I can't forget to uh, mention, um, this is in relation to Universal Audio. If you are thinking about uh, buying some new gear, in particular, if you're thinking about buying an Apollo Twin, uh, before the end of the year, make sure you buy one and, of course, write that off in your taxes. But when you buy one, the, the, you'll see the banner on the Working Class Audio site. You can get some free UAD plugins in the deal 
let's see. It's and and sorry, I'm I'm reading this actually from the site because I don't have it memorized, but. Basically, from this point on until December 31st, it says purchase and register an Apollo Twin solo or duo. And that's, of course, the USB or the Thunderbolt. So, you know, USB if you're a Windows user, Thunderbolt if you're a Mac user. And then you'll be eligible to receive um, UAD reverb, preamp, and guitar effects plugin for free. So, you know, uh, who can argue with free? So do that. And um, one of the things that I like about this promotion is it does say that if you already own uh, any of the promotional plugins, they say no problem. Just purchase and register the new Apollo Twin or Solo, uh, Apollo Twin Solo or Duo, and you'll receive a single-use coupon of equal value to the plugins you already own, right? That's a good deal. And um, you don't have to do, deal with any coupons or redemption codes, any of that, because what they do is they automatically add uh, the information to your account once you register the new Apollo. So that's kind of a deal. Very no-hassle promotion. You got to love that. And you know the the uh, the Apollo Twin is is I don't know if you've ever uh, held one, but they're very very solidly built. When you pick it up, you think this is this is actually an, a super nice piece of gear. So yeah, get one of those before the end of the year if you're thinking about it. That's it, Universal Audio. So that's it. Let's get on over to uh, our interview with John Vanderslice. I, I'm smiling as I'm saying it because we, we had a good time. We actually uh, we did something a little different for this interview. I had just discovered um, what is it here? It's an app. There it is. Oh, it's called Periscope. And what we did with John's interview is we just set up my phone and it basically it broadcasts. So um, a video, live video. John and I set it up on the on the console there and just kind of ran with our interview. And unfortunately, it stopped working at some point, un, un, unbeknownst to us. But uh, it was really great in the meantime, because we were able to um, broadcast what we were doing live. And people were people seemed to dig it. Uh, and fortunately, I didn't figure out how to properly save it. I'm not really clear on that yet. Oh, these new technologies. Anyhow, let's get on over to our interview with John Vanderslice here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. So, John. Yes, sir. Welcome to the podcast. It's my pleasure, dude. I, I was like a, you know, like a wallflower waiting to be asked to dance. You know what I mean? Oh, you got to be kidding yeah, me. Yeah, I really? wanted to do it. Yeah, I don't want to bug people. Well, I'm, was... I'm pretty, uh, I'm a recessive personality these days, so I don't go and advance my cause at all. Really? Yeah, at all. At all? Can, not in the past year because I've been in a completely different headspace. I bet you have. So I'm, I've been invisible and it's been, it's really great to be invisible. It's, it is really <laughs> wonderful. So, hey, we're, we're here. We're at Tiny Telephone Studio A in San Francisco. We've got people watching on Periscope, which I just installed like a couple days That's ago awesome. and started watching freaks of this world do some weird <laughs> stuff. And I thought, I should just broadcast our interview. It's the rich human experience, right? <laughs> so hopefully at that like low resolution. That's our only saving grace is that everything's just being bandwidth limited so we don't see the real true HD horror of what's <laughs> happening out there. God, I don't know where to begin with you except because I don't want to go and just, you know, where did you start, John? And you know, I kind of want to start with right now. What the hell is going on right now? And there's a lot. That's a good question. It's funny because I'll, I'll give you the micro picture and the macro picture. The micro picture, in the past 24 hours, I've been obsessed with, with getting my only Eventide 949 harmonizer to work. And it's been like 24 hours of opening it up, pulling ribbon connectors, tapping on components, getting it to Michael Gore, getting it back, testing it, retesting it, tapping components, swapping fuses that I think work, 
But that's the micro picture. And this is, it's so funny because as a studio owner, you bog down in these very small details. Like once I remember I was trying to find a shock mount for an SM23, a tube Neumann microphone. And I, it was really like a, a day quest of emailing, calling people, researching. You know, you get this laser focus on something that is actually absurd. You know, once you solve the problem, you, it, it, it's amazing how, like, enveloped you were in a very, very minor issue that once it's solved, you never think about again. Mm-hmm. Um, so my life is like a it little, I just ping from these small, seemingly, like, irrelevant things that add up to a functional studio. And, and any studio owner will know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you have to, like, develop this obsession to problem solve or you will fall into total chaos. The studios are atrophying all the time. They're in a state of, um, of, of like dissolving. So day to day, I'm just problem solving these two rooms. Mostly I'm doing that like so obsessively because we're getting way close to opening the, stu- the Oakland studio. Once the Oakland studio opens, my entire presence will be over there for at least six months. So let me ask the obvious question. What's going to happen to this place? Well, we're we need the capacity. We need 30 more days a month to sell demands. We're, we're about two to four months ahead. Mm-hmm. So we need another room for bands. We also need a different type of room for bands. You know, this is going to be much more, you know, this is much more of like a classic um, large room, you know, drum studio. It's like 22 and a half foot high ceilings. It's a pretty large tracking room, large ISO room, a secondary ISO room. It's it's like an old school studio, 3,000 square feet total, double Neve 8068, large control room stuff that we've never had oh, we, you, oh you're saying the new one is. yeah the new one because we you know we're in san francisco tiny telephone right now there's two rooms here a and b and you know these are relatively small rooms we built into we basically just rented a warehouse and built the you know what limited space we had we built into this warehouse so we we built an office and then we fi- discovered it could be an echo chamber so we repurposed it to be an echo chamber and you know that we kind of we worked within a very very small a very small like 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 footprint and o- the Oakland Tiny Telephone Studio is the first time where I had like space to actually build and to, and to actually decide oh we'll build a room above the control room and we can build you know so things that that I would never have been able to plan I mean the live room here is not giant so how did the live? How does this live room compare to that new it's one? It's maybe six or seven times bigger. Oh wow! With twenty, you know, and twenty-two foot ceiling, it's it like gives you a you know you look up and it's wood rafters and iron trusses and the reverb tail is quite long now. We haven't finished doing the uh, acoustic treatment in the live room, but you know it's I think it's almost two seconds right now. So you know we're gonna have to tail that way down because mm-hmm. it will be like recording chaos if we don't deal with that. But we're still actually in the control room, finishing the control room. I'm dying to see it. I cannot wait to see it. I think it's going to be really, really nice. I'm, I'm really, I'm psyched. So we're, we're keeping these two rooms. Okay. The way that my life has always worked is that I've lived off of the A room. So the A room was started 18 years ago. The B room was started five years ago, strictly as a defensive measure. My landlord walked in five years ago one day and said, we're going to rent the auto shop that um, used to sell marijuana that got pushed out by dispensaries because dispensaries were like selling cheaper weed than the auto shop was. They like literally would never fix cars. Like it was the actually the ideal neighbor, an auto a front that would you would walk into the office you know to pay your car repair bill and it would just smell like like 
Cali skunkweed. I mean, you know, <laughs> it was like incredibly obvious. And they used a safe and stuff, but it was like, you know, they didn't bother. I mean, if anyone walked in off the street and said, I'd like to have my car fixed, they would just walk into the office and be like, this is a front. And then they should probably have decided not to get their car fixed. Yeah, there. that would have been the move, right? So they got pushed out. I took it over because my landlord was basically, you know, who's awesome. She said, hey, I'm going to put light industrial in here if you don't take it. I didn't want to open another studio. It's like the last thing I wanted to do. I mean, at that time I was touring all the time and I had a lot of other stuff going on and it felt financially insane. And we we opened it up purely as a defensive uh, maneuver and we realized that the back and forth of two rooms and then being able to, instead of having two full-time engineers, to have five full-time engineers, it was amazing. First off, you got all this like intel from both rooms. You got more gear going back and forth. So you learned a lot more about engineering. You went back and forth between two different dynamic spaces. Engineers would compete against each other in the most most healthy way. Economically I mean, compete? Not really because it's a closed system. So they don't really have to. Most of the, the engineers that work here, they're protected from outside engineers. Like there's very few engineers that are allowed to work here. You're one of them. They're, it's a very small list. Um, but the the engineers that work here, I don't allow outside engineers to come in. You know, we've had many people ask us for a month or two months. I mean, the B room's cheap, you know. It'd be a smart move to camp out there. Um, but So they don't wouldn't compete against either each other economically, but it's happened to me where I've been working on a record. I go to the B room to get something like the oscillator or anything, and I hear what they're doing. I'm like, fuck, this is so much better than what I'm doing. It happens, it happens often where you go over there and you'll hear a more rigorous approach to recording a vibraphone or it's just a better like vocal. I'm like, hey, there's no sibilance on this singer. This guy's got a lisp. How in the, how in the hell are you doing this? You know what I mean? And then you're, you know what I mean? It's like, it's very interesting because it's real time as opposed to me going home and Googling how to deal with a, you know, a sibilant singer or, you know, a problematic, undynamic horn player or, you know what I mean? Like, you would just walk over there and talk to someone. I mean, we just had Jacob come over here and help us, you know, set up the audio. I know. <laughs> here. I mean, that stuff happens, that back and forth, and then that means that gear can go back and forth, and that's huge. What will the dynamic be like between San Francisco Tiny Telephone and Oakland Tiny Telephone in terms of gear, engineers? <clears throat> Basically, we've we've definitely been training people and kind of pulling them in the loop. For instance, I made Rob Shelton, who was really not... I don't think 100% interested in engineering and producing. He is like a session, a great session keyboardist. And I basically, once I rented, you know, I rented that space three years ago. It's been killing me to build, you know, it took me this long to actually borrow the money to finish it. But um, because I had such a long lead up and I knew I needed him, I begged him to, to, to train to be an engineer producer. And hmm. so he trained for about a year and a half. I mean, he was started doing sessions, but then he really was totally ambivalent about it and then got hooked on it as it happens. And and so, you know, I slowly train people and get them in the loop because there's a lot of esoteric stuff here that they have to get to to learn and, and to um to, to not only be comfortable with, but to love and to really embrace. And some of that is working on older gear that is you have to you have to be very, very um present when you're using it. You know, it's not a new piece of gear that's like you know, it's just been plugged in, like it's IEC has been plugged in for the first time and it's like a circuit board preamp and it's on for like nine years right. without thinking about it, you know, so. But I mean, as far as like, is it going to be a whole separate engineering staff over there? Actually, it won't, it'll be the same crew. So now it's like, we, you know, the system as developed now is that we basically will 
will have somewhere between six and seven full-time engineers. Um, and they'll be, it's, it's really, you know, Sammy Perez is kind of coming on doing more sessions. You know, she plays in the She's. She's been working here for about two years. Um, Rob now is full-time. I begged Bo Sorensen to come here from, from, uh, from Portland and move here to be part of the studio. So these, some of these guys have been kind of in and out of the A and B room, but once Oakland's open, Everyone that's at part-time is really going to be needed for full-time work. And also Sean Alpe, who is on tour now with actually with Matt Pond. He's playing in Matt Pond and opening up for him. He's really kind of now set up to be full-time. And then what I'm doing now, there's there's only some of the staff is set up with this, but I'm, now I'm paying half health insurance and then matching 401k. You're shitting me. Yeah, I'm, 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 try, I'm trying to be a good person, man. And it's like, you know that dude who started that, he had that internet company and he, he like imposed 70K as a, yep. as a minimum. I saw that and I was like, man, I got to be a better person here. You know what I mean? Like we have to, now people make good, good money. You know, gear, engineers make 250 a day working here and I can give them, I can shovel them days. Which I know? feel is, I feel is low. It, it is low. It, it's absolutely low. And I'm, I'm purposely... Um, limiting what you know. If you're a house engineer, I li- I tell you what you can charge. If you're a a, a visiting engineer, you charge what you want. Charge what you want, but right. you're not in the system. You're not right. protected. I don't offer you, f- you know, half health insurance or f- matching four hundred one k. Um, and so it's a two tier system. In other words, so the visiting engineers sometimes. Hey, some of those. I'm one of the visiting engineers is well over a grand a day. So it's like, it's like, you know, it just depends on the client. You know what I mean? So, but my whole thing has always been, Hey, you're working class audio. I've always been, this is a working class. If we're not, if we don't have working class prices where forget, you know, the old scammy studio vibe was like to ring up Warner brothers for cartage fees, for mic rentals, for whatever, and like just send them the invoice at the end of the record mm-hmm. and fuck them. Like, like that, that's how these studios survived. Yeah. Card rates, the whole bullshit. I mean, stuff that when I started this studio, we put the price of the, of the A room. Well, it wasn't the A room. It was just the studio. It was the room. <laughs> it was the room. It was $100 a day. I put it on the, the, the front page of tinytelephone.com. We are $100 a day. Engineers are 150 a day. So it costs two fifty a day to work here. There are no overages. There's no possible chance of overtime now. Of course, engineers and that was, have that defended themselves. That was how long ago? Eighteen years ago. That was eighteen years ago. Eighteen years. And ago. when we Man. did that, I remember going to the first tape op conference, and I was on a panel. It was a great panel. John Bryan, Steve Albini, all these great people. And someone asked me about floating studio rates, and I said, "They said I, I've heard that you're like more. You've said in interviews you're morally opposed to to sliding your rates, and that it's like for you, it's." completely corrosive to bands um, uh, being part of the studio system and even entertaining the idea of making a record in a recording studio, whether they're a micro band or whether they're on a label with an advance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I stood up and I said, you know, it, it, you were, you were unethical if you slide your rates. And if you, if you have this, this, um, this like sliding scale, it's, it's implicitly undemocratic. It, it has to be because for instance, if we go to Best Buy and buy TV, which no one does anymore because they're like Amazon showroom, right? <laughs> but if you were to go to Best, Best Buy exactly. and somebody said, how much do you have to spend today? You'd be like, fuck you, man. And, or if they said, um, how much do you make? And I'll tell you how much I can discount this TV for you. So in other words, and the other thing that I noticed is that the bands that were getting discounted were the winners. It was never the losers, right? It was the winners. The bands that got free studio time, we know that were big. It's amazing how many big bands get offered studio time. And I was shocked when I started getting a little bit of success selling records in an indie rock fucking arena, whoop-dee, you know, whoop-dee-doo. It's like, 
No big deal. I started getting offering free studio time from studios, even though I own a studio. That's weird. And that's when I knew that this system was so sick and so corrupt. The bands that need it, right, would never get offered or discounted studio time because they they weren't any kind of leverage for the studio. And the bands that could be listed on the discography that didn't need the discount would be offered it. So it was just totally undemocratic. The other thing is that, you know, with the new economy, you don't know if someone works at Apple or if they work... As, at, at a public library. Especially here. Yeah. Especially here. You don't know how they look, how they talk. It's like, so in other words, you're making assumptions about people that are sick. First off, the assumption that someone's on a major label and they have money is hilarious, mm-hmm. too. Two, the someone, assumption that someone's on a successful indie band and th- they have a money is ridiculous. And then three, the assumption that a micro band with four fans, you know, doesn't have money is ridiculous. We can't assume anything, you know? Well, and, you, and so then the, the, the only, sorry, but the no, no. only solution is fix your price. That's it. You don't go up or down a dollar, but make sure that price is low enough for you to sell out for infinity. Well, Eli Cruz said in his interview with you, he said the one major thing he learned from you was transparency about yeah. rate. Yeah. And I, I think that's great. I mean, I, it's, I hate to like, if you go into like guitar center, I'll just say Guitar Center because I've had this experience in the past. And I also, many years ago, uh, worked at Guitar Center in 1987, 1988, something like that. And I remember the whole mentality was just like, well, let me go talk to my manager. Well, how much do you have to spend? And, you know, that concept, it's just when you have the rate, this is the rate. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And it's low enough. And you can plan. And you probably saw it at Guitar Center, and we've certainly seen it where the the bigger, richer bands are funneled to GC Pro, and they get deals that are breaking the gear manufacturers. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? When I got enough leverage, I was getting these deals from GC Pro that were they were insane. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it, and it's like it felt like it's like uh, you know, I, I this this the tax system, the American ethos is so unbelievably fucking unfair that like if we can just do anything to avoid that kind of thinking you know what i mean mm-hmm. where it's like the the winners get the fucking gift baskets you know with with keys to a car and a fucking you know iphone 7 or whatever do you know what i mean it's like enough I, of this shit you I, know what i mean i like, totally understand what you're saying and, and, and agree with it and so my my and, and you know studio is what i would ask, always ask me well then what's the way around that but the, the way around that is to put a, a rate where you are turning away work every month your rate is so low that it's that it's a fixed rate that's low enough it's just sheer volume at that point hey it's pretty easy do you know what i mean like from an economic standpoint there's a supply demand curve they cross where are you you're either on the right side of the curve or the left side of the curve you want to be on the correct side of the curve where you are turning down work and where you're booked you know 28 to 31 days a month and that's how you're going to make money because the the ancillary payoffs goodwill Two, the ability to cut out problematic clients. Three, the ability to stay. There's nothing better than a studio that's open every day. The gear's on every day. You know, it's funny because that we don't have problems with our tape decks. Like I know that I go to other studios um, and they have problems with all their tape decks, and it's because they're never on. You know what I mean? It's like it's and the right. gear isn't being worked, and it's like it's pretty funny. Like it's actually, you know, you, you're trying to preserve this resource, but it's like it's better that this Neve is just on 24 hours a day, and that that Studer's on every day. Just they work. I want to touch on the problematic clients. What did you mean by that? I trust my intuition. It's not always right, but it's the batting average is high enough where it's like. I'm going to go with it most of the time, you know. There's so much in body language. There's, you know, there's so much in like, 
do I like to sit next to this person? Like, I, like I'm really happy sitting next to you right now. You know what I mean? And like, sometimes I'll give a tour with a client and I'll be like, I don't want to sit next to this person. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and it's not anything specific. It has right. nothing to do with anything. It's just that there's, I'm reading something that's a little off. Maybe their relationship to music isn't quite healthy. It isn't quite sorted out. Maybe it's a little, there's something predatory in the way they're thinking. Maybe, you know, maybe they have uh, an impatience and a, a nervousness that's going to kill an engineer when they're in a room with that engineer. Mm-hmm. And there's some people that are just rude. I, I grew up in the South, man. I, I, you know, if I was rude in a store or to a waitress, my, my grandma would hit me. You know what I mean? My grandma was a lovely person. You know what? I deserved it. And you know what? I was probably rude once. You know what I mean? And like yeah. I got slapped <laughs> and I lived in the South and like I was like, uh, yeah. yes, ma'am. You know what I mean? Like I, I was brought up in a culture of of like real, say whatever you want about the South. I mean, you don't even need to pick on the South. You can pick on the U.S in general like this place is fucking crazy you know what i mean like 10 years ago could you have seen how all these fucking cop killings how how racist this country's gotten how unbelievably unfair you've got more social you know you've got more mobility economic mobility in like countries that we used to jeer at you know what i mean like we've gone down the fucking tubes and like you know these these new climate uh projections for 2100 they are they're fucking devastating so we're here. We might as well be nice to each other. You know what I mean? Might as well be polite. So I've always, I always think that like being polite is huge. There's many times that people left, left me a voicemail and they weren't polite and I never called them back. I would at least a yeah. hundred in 18 years. It's, it's constantly, uh, people have talked about making a, a working class audio shirt out of it. There's a quote from Andrew Sheps in his interview Don't be a dick. Yeah. Just don't be a dick. Yeah. First off, we need to, we need to usher bands. Listen, bands have the power to make great records on their own. We're a service industry. You know what I mean? Like if we're going to be functional or if we're going to exist at all, the experience has to be amazing. It has to be profound from a sonic standpoint, but also from a personal standpoint. You've probably made some of the best friendships that you have from people that you've worked with in the studio. Oh, yeah. In fact, it's, it's, I have a strange... Like some people have childhood friends that they, you know, continue to pal around with. My friends tend to come from my recording experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are the people I go see bands with. Yeah. Those are the people I go have coffee with. And they could have, you know, the great thing is that a lot of those people have moved on. They're not even making records anymore, but you're connected with them. I'm friends with tons of bands that aren't even bands anymore or that they're they're doing solo stuff and they've gone back into the basement and they're re- recorded. You know, there, there's no tie, economic tie whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it's the, the relationship is stronger because of it, mm-hmm. you know, but, but you you get very close to people in a control room. You get very close. People are very volatile and they're they're exposed. You get them in front of a microphone. We've been on the other side of the microphone. We know how oh, yeah, vulnerable it's... you can be, and we know how it feels to be picked on. We know how it feels to be abused by a, a fucked up engineer. Let's talk about the economics of this new studio. I I think I saw on Facebook you said that you had run out of money oh, yeah. numerous times. Oh, yeah. This thing has like gotten out of control for yeah. you, has it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been brutal. I mean, basically... And and this is the thing. I, I say this without with, with I'm not just like putting a face on it. I say this without honestly one shred of of bitterness because I don't I don't think like the arts are important. Studios are important. They're not that important. Like I never got upset with the world for not loaning me money, right? I went to banks, I went to like endless amounts of friends. And the whole time, you know, 
people would turn me very politely turn me down and I'd be I'd kind of want to say, you know what? I don't I really honestly don't blame you because this is such it is a razor thin profit margin at best and it's a it's an odd kind of time machine-y, museum-y thing to want to do, to run an analog studio. And there's a lot of exciting things in the world happening right now that you could invest in that are kind of forward-looking. And there's also a lot of problems that you could address that your money would be better spent at. So I never got ever like wound up or frustrated, but the sheer number of people that I asked to lend me money <laughs> was like, I mean, it's a hard, you're, you, it's a tough position, man. It's like, it's almost like I felt like I was in high school trolling for dates. You know what I mean? And the dance was coming close. Yeah. And then I remember my, my senior dance. I remember I went without a date because I was a capital L loser in high school that extended on till. I'd say about 24 years old, but from 24 on, I, I, it's fine, you know, yeah. but like, but like, you know, I, 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 you know, I was uh, a nervous guy. It's not the most, you know, right. appealing. <laughs> it's not the most like hook upable, you know, thing you can be, you know what I mean? And so it reminded me of being in high school and kind of going down the list. And yeah. as you go down a list, man, people know they're on a list. You know what I mean? So the big, so the big crazy thing that happened, so this is the timeline, just very quickly in Oakland, because it was very strange and odd. So I almost got into an accident on tour. So like we we were on tour, me and Jason and Jacob, we got very, very close to running into a car that was parked on the 80. It was actually stopped and it was dusk and it didn't have its flashers on. And so we're just humming along. I thought we were going to die. I mean, I thought we were going to kill someone in the car and then flip. And there was a lot of, it was a lot, it was rush hour. So there was a lot of trucks, a lot of stuff going on. We veered into the other lane. No one was there. The van kind of like veered up on probably two wheels at one point and then came back down. And I, I just, something clicked. I was like, you know what? That's it. I'm done. No more touring. I, I had a great run. Wow. I love touring. It's the, I, I have the best, I, I, I miss so much about touring and so many friends. And I miss that. I miss playing music six nights a week, et cetera. But I just, it clicked. I'm like, Hey man, you survived. You know what? You, like you, you, you've got great things at home. Let's just go back home and not tour anymore. And it was a beautiful one. It was like a gift. You know what I mean? It was like a, like in Moby Dick, like, oh, everything's gravy. You know, I survived like the capsizing, you know, the, <laughs> the boat capsizing, you know? And so I went home and I, I like, I was like, it wasn't a big deal. I was like, I'm not going to tour anymore. I'm going to, you know what? I'll just start engineering, engineering and producing. I love doing that. And it's a great thing to do. And then once I started, I, I looked and I realized everyone was here working full time. I was like, man, I better build another room. So a couple days later, I was giving a tour to John Cunaberti, great mastering engineer. Who's John Cunaberti has been on the show. Yeah, he, he told me that he was psyched yeah. that I was going to be on it. And he said, what's, what's next for you? If he hadn't have said that, I wouldn't have said anything. And I said, well, honestly, I'm looking for a Neve 8068 because it's like my dream Neve console. It's kind of the only console I'm interested in. I've been looking for six months and I can't find one. He says, okay, I, I think I know where one's for sale. Yeah. So he knew of the one at the plant. And I was at first, I just thought he was like, maybe there's one out there. Next day he calls me. He's like, okay, I set up with a, me a meeting with the... Um, with the the guy's assistant who owns it. He was a very wealthy dude who owned the console. And so I went to a meeting. I was very nervous for some reason. I realized that this was kind of like an unusual scenario, you know. So I went and I met the assistant at the plant. And then I realized he walked in. I was like, 
fuck, I gave this guy a tour like four months ago in Tiny Telephone. So randomly, the assistant to this guy who, this billionaire who owns the Neve, who got it basically by loaning the plant money and then having his loan get defaulted on, part of the glorious tapestry that is the history of the plant. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I realized like, oh shit, this is faded. I'm going to buy this console. Oh fuck. Here we go again into spiraling crazy debt like I always do. So they asked for 450 for the console to double Neve 8068. So it's 64 channels of 31102 modules, which sell for about four grand each. 450 for a double Neve is top dollar, but can't do it. Maybe someone can do it. I can't do it. I'm sorry. I love this console. And, um, you know, I'm sorry to waste your time. A week later, they call me up and he says, um, the guy will sell it to you for 250. And I said, honestly, I can't do 250. I don't have it. Like I'm trying to, 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 I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to uh, like imagine that I can get the money, but I can't under no circumstance. And so now I'm starting to like get nervous, realizing they're coming down and I don't have the money secured. So I start begging friends and family to loan me the, the money. Everyone turns me down except my mom whose money I have just, I took over all of her retirement. My mom had just retired. And I put everything into Vanguard, very low fee, right? Index right. funds, right? Right. And I had just done it like a week previous. <laughs> so I felt this demonic, like, oh, shit, I'm going to ransack my mom's retirement. I, like, I knew it. So I called my mom up and I was like, mom, save me from you because... There's this need. Now, my mom has been part of my game forever. Now, my mom's very good at, my mom has been very good at loaning me money. She started at 5%, then she went down for 4, 4%, and then she went back up to 5%. So I'd say over the course of maybe the B room, she could, I think she loaned me about 80 grand for the B room and I paid it off. And that was all at 5%. So I was at zero with her, but all her money was just newly in this Vanguard account. And I was like, man, I just, it felt like a, you know, Requiem for a Dream when the guy's stealing his mom's, like, television set, you know what I mean, to get heroin. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> so, anyways, my mom was like, absolutely not. No, get your hands up. No, you just put all the money in Vanguard and no. It's like, you know, I, I'm, like, projected to make 8% this year, so hands off. So then I'm like, okay, I'm not going to buy this Neve. It's, it's fine. So then they come back to me and they say, 165, one. 65. Are you fucking kidding me? We could part this thing out in five minutes and make a hundred grand. You know what I mean? Wow. So, and I'm being specific about the money because we, we, this is important. All this money stuff, which no one ever talks about. Oh, that's why that's the whole podcast yeah. is about that. And it's about putting it together. So, yeah. so I call back my mom. I'm very close to my mom. I talk to my mom every day on the phone, at yeah. least once a day. I've already talked to my mom once today. I'll call her before she goes to sleep. I'm very, like my mom has been my savior my whole life. You know, I had long stretches of depression. The only reason I didn't hang myself is my mom. I'm totally fine now. I'm 100% fine. Hey, if you're depressed out there, go running. It will fucking solve it. Crazy. Crazy huh. idea. You don't want to be depressed? Run. Fine. Done. Or do any other cardio. It yeah. will go And away. stop eating uh, processed sugar. <clears throat> I, I'm, uh, well, I eat a lot of processed sugar. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you stop... I believe it. It will yeah. really help. I run farther and still eat a lot of sugar. <laughs> Last night, I told you I got stoned and... and uh, I, I bought this, I went to Mission Pie yesterday, you know, because getting, I don't get high very often. I get high like once every two weeks. It's a big deal for me. I schedule it. It's like, 
It's important to me. It's like the time where I listen to 30, 40 records in a row. I think about audio very, very intensely. I listen to all the records that I'm working on. I'm mixing a record today, uh, Craig Helmrich's record, which is fantastic. I listened to all the roughs last night. But I bought a mini pie from, from Mission Pie last night, a Dutch apple pie, and they gave me a side of sour cream. So last night's whole thing, speaking of processed sugar, was cutting it into quarters and then slowly eating each quarter of the pie until I had eaten an entire mini pie. Of course, because you rationalize it by quarters. You know, ah, just one more quarter. It's just a quarter. Right. And, and then the pie's gone. There's still more whipped topping. So I, I just got to, uh, I got to, I got to make this balance. I got to balance this out right. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm a big fan of marijuana and audio. Um, I can't get anything done if I smoke pot. Oh, you can't get anything done. And, yeah. and it can't be anywhere near work, but on a day off, your ears are newly minted. And of course, you have to find the strain that does not make you paranoid or freaks you out or doesn't make you go to sleep. For me, it's Girl Scout cookies, organic Girl Scout cookies from the Green Cross, tested. They, have, they own their own lab. It is fine. It's a fine strain of marijuana. I t- take one pipe hit, probably costs about a dollar maybe two dollars it's the cheapest it's the most powerful thing you can ever do for you know a dollar good high for your buck it's a good i mean i i was on a different planet and it was a a beautiful wonderful and it's profound if you do it right your phones are off your light your your life is sorted out and you're in a good spot i hey i work every i'm in the studio i was in it was in san francisco studio yesterday i've been i'm in the studio every day so it's like it feels great at 5 30 to turn off the phones and to put on play records <laughs> you've reached sean's voicemail i'm currently high and eating quarter pieces of pie yeah and if people text me if the studio texts me i just text them back hey i'm, I'm really high i can't deal with it and they're told they get it because i'm usually i'm present 99 percent of the time but your ears are newly minted it's like they were just like you it's just like you were just born all right, let's take a little minute. I want to talk to you about Audio Technica and the uh, 40 series uh, headphone promo they got going on. If you've been listening, you know that they're doing the deal where if you buy uh, a select 40 series mic, you get a free pair of ATH M50X headphones. And that deal runs till the end of the year, December 31st, of course. I was looking at the deal and I, I was like, wow, there's some great mics on here. I haven't heard them all. And then it occurred to me, I thought, I bet you many other people haven't heard many of these mics either, um, at least all in one group. I'm sure that many of you have experienced Audio-Technica microphones before, but there's a good bunch of mics in this list. The um, 4033, the 47, the 50, the 60, the 80, the 81. So I called AT and I said, I got an idea. I haven't heard all these mics. And just in an effort to give people a glimpse into how a good selection of these mics sound, can you send us out uh, some of these mics and we'll do some samples and put them up on our website for people to download? I'm going to head over to Bird and Egg Studios and Nina Michella, who's been on the show. We're going to do some drums and guitar, acoustic and electric, and some vocals. We'll uh, make some short snippets, 15 to 30 seconds or so, of us playing some stuff and we'll label them. And that way you can download them and listen to them in your environment. And that way that'll educate you a little bit about what some of these mics sound like. Obviously they're not, it's not going to be the definitive sample, but you know, at least it'll give you an idea of what some of these mics sound like. So there you go. The 40 series promo with Audio Technica here on the Working Class Audio podcast. So that's it. Look for those samples coming up soon. And if you're going to get a mic, make sure you jump on this and do not forget to register. So any questions, just go over to workingclassaudio.com. 
And on the right-hand side, click on that Audio Technica banner, and that'll take you to the page that'll tell everything that you need to know about this great promo. And that's it. Let's get back to John Vanderslice here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Let me ring you back. Yeah, Neve Console. <laughs> Neve Console. Okay, so... 165. So they offered 165, and at that point, even people in my life who are very, you know, who are there to rein me in because i don't care about money i really don't give a shit about money at all i don't if i have money i will buy gear with it yeah i mean i'm i'm i want gear to i i I want there's when you start producing records there's just no shortage of gear that you need to provide to those records we just got a a, a copper a copper ludwig ludwig timpani drum and i'm like how in the hell did i live without this drum (laughs) do you know what i mean like this is the greatest thing ever and you know we just got a u67 i it i it took me 18 years to afford to get a a nine thousand dollar tube mic and it's like my favorite microphone of all time and and you know these things matter to bands and it matters to me and the wonderful thing is if you buy correctly None of this stuff is going to lose its value, and that's that's a that's a pretty awesome. But um, let, let me bring this up though: the Neve in this case for those guys did lose value. Here they were thinking they were going to get a half a million dollars for it, and now they're bargaining down to one sixty five. And then, so I'll I'll finish the story, and it, it's kind of amazing because so I called my mom, and I was like, Mom. You know about my mom knows about Neve Console. She's been in this control room like a hundred times. Like yeah. she's seen me play a hundred. She knows what Neve consoles are. You know, this is a 5316. This console changed my life. So I said, Mom, <clears throat> this is how we're gonna do it. And just say yes or no. Because I'm very unemotional about money. I just I don't care. I was like, Mom, I can get I can scrape together 15 grand. You loan me 150 at five percent. We'll schedule it out. It'll be amortized. I'll pay you back over five years. And um I realize that you're probably going to make um, less than the eight percent that you'd probably make. In stock, of course, stock market's gotten quite dodgy, so she, in a way, she she made out well, and everything will be scheduled out. So it's like you'll get automatic payments from my bank. I'm never, you know, I've been, I own a house. I've never been late on my payment once in eleven years. So she said, "Okay, you're fucking insane. Like seriously, like you're insane." But you kind of have a track record of putting these things together in a weird way and making it work. So okay. So it took her, you know, a week to move that money around. Yeah. I went back to the, to the, to the uh, plant crew and I was like, okay, give me some bank info. I'll wire it into your, um, into your bank. That night, I mean, probably two or three nights of t- terror, like sleep slash terror slash insomnia of like, what's wrong with you, man? You have two studios. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you just stopped touring. Why do Why? you need a third? I don't even have any place to put the console. Like, I literally couldn't even move it anywhere. So you didn't even have the Oakland facility. I didn't even have it rented. <gasps> and then, so I talked to Gary Kreiman, who's like the Neve tech on the West Coast. Yeah. I would argue in the U.S. He's fucking amazing. I talked to him and he's like, he's like, hey, man, I know you for a long time. He's done all everything on this Neve. I think you're crazy. I think you have profound problems but i will help you if you buy the neve and i will be there for you and he was just leaving a big job so it was kind of like and i was like gary where am i gonna put it he's like you're gonna have to rent a really big storage locker because it's 12 feet long so i was like okay so i'm like first thing just get the money in their hands so they can't back out of this deal so my mom came through by the way my mom her her, i think her her email is gene at j-e-a-n at 
jean-youngyoung.com. People should email her and tell her that she is like a hero because she is a hero. She's an absolute hero. And that's why Oakland's happening. So she loaned me the money. I wired it to them. And I was like, man, they can't back out. They're going to regret this big time. Well, about a month later, um, Sound City came out. So that was the fucking exclamation point of the universe. I mean, Neve consoles have maybe, in some cases, they've doubled since that doc came out. I mean, that documentary is an advertisement for why you should drop everything and make some crazy moves to buy Neve. I already had that in me. I already had that bug in me. But when I saw it, I was like, thank God this didn't. If this came out a year earlier, six months earlier, or because the guy is hip. The guy who's selling it knew exactly. You know, he's a musician. He's an engineer. He knew what was going on. But he, he wanted a private sale and he wanted to do it quick. So all's well. I got the Neve. They let me keep it there. The plant, because they're so completely dysfunctional. I mean, that building's been for sale for 10 years. They've been trying to rezone that to do everything from like a spa to, I don't know. Like Had a, that crossed your mind? To, I'm sorry, I'm kicking your mic stand. Had that crossed your mind to try to buy that building? No, because it was for sale for $4 million to oh. Sausalito is not the vibe yeah. anymore. You know what I mean? Like, And also, I've learned that the only way to do this game is you have to look that you're being subsidized by well, Prop 13 is evil, but it's here in California and you've got to like lean on it. If you're going to be an art, if you're going to be talk an about what Prop 13 and so Prop, Prop 13 is like the sickest thing that ever happened in California. It's why our schools got gutted. It's, it's why the state just went down the tubes. It basically it limits property tax. So it's like 1.1 something, something percent a year of your appraised value. And really where that did a lot of damage was in commercial buildings. Um, and in, 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 in houses, I own a house and my appraised value is much less than what my house is worth. So I'm, and prop, it limits how it, it just, it, it just throttles down how much property tax you're going to pay. And the, the reason why this stuff doesn't matter and why it's a huge mistake to have prop 13 is that basically your property taxes get factored in by the buyer when they're buying a house. So in other words, if you go to a state that has very high property taxes, the houses are just cheaper by whatever measure the property taxes are higher. You know, in other words, like it's like a VAT. It's like it's part of it's perceived as part of the price. That's how people run numbers on what kind of house they can afford. So in other words, if we were paying double the amount in property tax, houses would sell for cheaper in California because people pay the most that they can pay for a house. That's just how econ works. So it's a it's a terrible thing, but in the case of this building where we're in in San Francisco and the building in Oakland, the 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 peop, my landowners in both places have bought those buildings very very long time ago, so they're paying very low property tax, very low mortgage. So in other words, I'm kind of being subsidized by their foresight to buy a building so long. I would never ever be able to buy into the building here in San Francisco. It's gone haywire, and in Oakland, I'm sure it'd be way out of reach. But something like a building in Sausalito, you know, it's a it's a problem all, almost for commercial spaces because they get to be too expensive at mm -hmm. some point for any use. You know, um, so uh, you know you can oddly have open storefronts and space and and retail spaces in in places that should should be generating you know sales tax or or other income taxes um so i didn't think of buying that building but they allowed me to keep it there and then maybe a month later eli cruz our friend came to me and he said hey the auto shop in my building 
just came free. You should come meet my landlord, Tommy McElroy. Tommy is the owner of the building. He's also a great producer. He worked with Madonna, Tony, 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 uh, and Vogue. Vogue. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah. He's a genius. And he wants a studio in there. So I went there the next day. I looked at it and I was like, okay, man, here we go. Let's start building. Wow. I called my contractor, Brian Hood, and I was like, let's do it. And it was from that point on, it was like, well, it from that point on, it was intense until I realized that I couldn't get any money. My mom was like, nope, that's it. <laughs> you tapped, and also, my tapped mom, that out. I tapped that out. My, also, my mom, I took about half of her savings. You know, she, I paid, a, I, I probably owe her about less than half of that now. So we've moved, you know, that's pretty good. But then I started asking clients to loan me money. And then I took a second mortgage out of my house, which you're supposed to never do, but I had to, had to get money. So then I... Basically, the the rest of the construction was funded on, believe it or not, which is the craziest thing to think about, clients of the studio, just clients, loaning me money. Sometimes $10,000, sometimes $25,000, sometimes fifty, sometimes $100,000. It's, they're all amortized. They're in anywhere between 5 and 3% loans. They're personal loans. There's no lawyer. There's a, you know, there's a promissory note, and it's tied to my collateral, of which I clearly have a lot of gear. But these are loans made with love, you know, they're, 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 they're not, um, you know, I think they were witnessed by whoever was in the control room, but like, you know, these are, these are risky loans for the, for, for the, for the person. And, you know, they're, they're doing it because they believe in, in an arts organization providing cheap recording time. So when, when all that stuff happened, I looked at my mom and I looked at these people, I was like, Oakland's going to be 300 a day. It's not going to be 450. It should probably be 500 or 600. It's going to be 300 for at least 10 years because I need to be part of this fabric of, you know what I mean? I've got to be like funneling it back. Then the engineers, yes, I do limit the engineers what they can pay, what they can charge, but they're turning away work all the time because we're so busy. So in other words, there's a parody there where it's like, yes, I'm limiting what you can charge because we have to stay both of us, both tiers. I also limit what session people can charge always. And I've had a lot of negotiations, some not so fun with session people. And they're like, well, fuck you, man. You, you know, like, and I don't blame them. They're like, so t- tell me about those numbers. Like, <clears throat> so you're saying that we list on the website, we list what session players charge. So it's, it's like they're, they're fixed. It's like in general, it's 250 for eight hours of recording for a session player. Some people are more, Jason Slot is 300 because he's the best drummer that's ever walked in the studio. But Jason, you know, Jason would have a strong argument to say it is, he's right. See, everyone's right. When Jason says that's too low for me, and when an engineer says 250 is low for me, they're right. They're totally right. But the system dictates that we all hold our prices down so we can stay as a viable option to bands that have nothing but options. And we have to stay um, relevant to bands or we will lose every single band to like being in because recording studios are profound and very valuable. Home recording is profound and valuable and it's fantastic, but they, they are parallel worlds and they, and people cross back and forth freely. They need to both exist. And so I'm, I, I basically tell people like, well, if you want to charge more than that, then, you know, I, I'm not going to put you on the list as a recommended like session person. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't, it's not like I strong arm per- people. I probably do. And I'm probably just forgetting. No, but I mean, it's, it's your, it's your house. So it's pe- a social democracy. And, and so it's in, maybe it's a socialist democracy. Maybe, <laughs> it's, it, maybe it's, it is. But I, you know, while I do say that 
because I charge by the day more than that. You know, like if it, like I charge 65 an hour or if somebody wants to book me for a day, I'll, I'll, I'll let them book me for 400 for the day and say, yeah. okay, if, if you're going to commit for the day, I'll, I'll drop it this much. Yeah. But if, but if it's like, you know, too unpredictable hourly, then I need 65 an hour to, to do what we're going to do. Um, but what you're doing, I think it works because you're basically helping guarantee that there's access for bands, that these engineers have a place to work and, and, and it's steady. And I don't know, I, it, it does make sense, but you have to be part of that system. You have to be, and you can opt out of the system. Now, now like, I mean, listen, there, there can be emotional stuff that comes in. Like I can be very emotional, you know, and I can be Especially crazy. after you've gotten high and ate in a whole pie. <laughs> actually, that's that's when I'm the least emotional. <laughs> that's when I actually care the least, which is okay. another reason why I get high. Like, so I mean, I'm not perfect. I mean, I, I I'm talking about this in an in a in a in a rational way, but you know, it's 18 years of dealing with people that you love and that love you and that maybe resent you for you know. There's a lot of control, and you, you know, when you're the when you're you are the boss in some sense, and you're going to take some heat for that, and bosses can really fucking blow sometimes man and i i hear myself talk and i'm like wow that dude sucks man and like you know like it's not this whole system not none of this is perfect none of this is beautiful you know every day you know like democracy is ugly often you know what i mean so mm -hmm. it hasn't been i've lost some friends you know through all this stuff and i've definitely had dust-ups with people and i've had maybe i've been a little heavy-handed sometimes but you know i try to be as as introspective and is and is I, I i'm like a wounded person man i carry a lot of wounds in me that have like happened over the years and i try to transcend as much of that as possible and not to be vindictive i, I you know i can be really mean to myself and that can come out you know inside of the system too you mm -hmm. know what i mean so in other words this system sounds elegant and beautiful and well designed but it's it's it took a long time to hone it and it hasn't always been perfect but i do believe that it's important for me to find a balance in all of the working parts keep in mind too i also put pressure on bands to adhere to the system you know what i mean for instance we we enforce analog recording which is not also the usual you know, pattern. That but most... I want you to clarify that because you do have Pro Tools rigs here. We have HD here in both rooms. So when you we say you enforce it, HD. What, do, what do you mean by that? <clears throat> when bands come here, so this is the usual thing. I give a band a tour and I basically tell them we enforce analog recording. I, 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 all this stuff I say with a smile, it's like I, I'm, I encourage bands to um, tour other studios, think about their options, think about, you know, the limitations of analog recording. I tell them, hey, we have HD here, of course. We use it for instrumentals and for half-inch backups. Um, I really don't think it sounds very good, and I would really prefer that you not use it. Now, the backup here is that the engineers that work here don't like to work on Pro Tools. So I'm kind of giving them, I'm priming them for the second stage, which is, oh, you know, the engineers here, they don't, they're not as crazy about the fidelity problems of Pro Tools. They just don't like the process of recording on, on, um, on random access, you know, insanity box where everyone's staring at a waveform and they think they know what it corresponds to and the <laughs> snare's late. And, you know, it's like, I, I just take the safety off and blow my brains out. You know what I mean? Like, it's the the least interesting things I've ever seen in the studio scene bands tweak on a computer, you know? They're never tweaking to reinvent the fucking, uh, 
you know, they're they're not like trying to ex- explode the Brill Building. They're trying to airbrush Sandra Bullock on the cover of In Style magazine. That's the that's the intellectual, mm-hmm. you know, direction. It makes people conservative. It makes people nervous, and it makes people conform as opposed to like break down. Beer. I'm all for weird fucking music. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I tell bands very very clearly and upfront, you are crazy to come here to record on a computer. <laughs> this is not uh, like I really do. And I'm, you know, I've lost many, many bands by saying this stuff because there's many bands that are like, but I don't, you know, just between you and me, I don't like our drummer. He's not here on the tour for that reason. I'm just like, whoa, your band's got problems, dude. Like, you know, like your drummer sucks, put him out front. You know what I mean? <laughs> your drummer sucks. You got two options. You own, you know, you own it like the first pavement record. You know, you got a shitty drummer, own it. Or, get a new drummer because all the editing all the fucking firepower in the world isn't going to do anything for your drummer now i have to say these things in a way that's not i don't want to be brutal to bands but mm-hmm. but i i suggest tons of bands i mean hey you know you maybe you've got a system you know you've got you know logic at home maybe you should stay at home maybe this isn't the place for you i've discouraged many bands because i really do believe that what you you want to go to la taqueria to get tacos. You want to get some serrano peppers on the side. You definitely want to get their guacamole. It's fantastic. You know, their their fresa agua fresca is fantastic. You want to go get the best of what you can get. You know, you go to you go to Kauai, you want to hike. You know what I mean? You go to a place, you you want to take what the best thing that they have and you want to accept the limitations with a smile. You know, and if you come here the best of what we do and what we really focus on, we have you know, five, five working Studer 827s, two of which are gold edition in fantastic condition. We have two completely rebuilt Michael Spitz ATR 102s. Mm-hmm. We have five super functional tape delays, including a 440 with a VSO. So, you, you know, we have a two BMT, but you want to, we're, we're in it, we're operating under different rules here. And that's what we do. And that's what I, this is set up very specifically. It's, this is a, again, part of the system. Mm. That I'm encur- that I'm enforcing, encouraging. Right. So if a, if an engineer worked here, I fired many engineers who started leaning on Pro Tools. And if an, if a, if a band's in the middle of a record and it gets transferred to Pro Tools, there's two things that are happen. One, either I'm su- going to be super bummed out of the engineer and talk to them, or two, the engineer has just given up on the band. You know what I mean? That that's, those are the two. That's for the uh, house engineers. Yes, that's for the people who you're providing health insurance for, 401k matching. Because I mean, this well, there's is... only two engineers right now that are getting that, and but the other ones are like right now, Jacob and Jamie get that. Right. Rob is up next. Bo's up next. We, I mean, these this is it costs us like five hundred dollars a month to do that. You know what I mean? Just for two guys. So it's like we got to we're moving slowly. I think when Oakland opens and gets stabilized, we're going to move all full all full timers into this realm which I think would be huge. And that's fine. I feel like that's this is where I think you and I fundamentally disagree. And I and I'm I respect you for yeah. for that because for me as a as an engineer like I'm used to the digital workflow. Yeah. I'm yeah. used to an in the box mixing workflow. But I totally get if you're going to have a staff like you say, it's like you wouldn't go to this taqueria and say, you know, can you make me something that's... Can you make, 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 could you make me like... A cheeseburger? You know, or, <laughs> or sushi? You, can you imagine the nonsense <laughs> that they hear? Can I get, can I get a, uh, you know, uh, would... Unagi Donburi right here at the Mexican restaurant? No, right. that's, I get that. But for the visiting engineer, you don't have an issue with that. I Well, well, well I mean... But but the thing is, is that it's already, 
I've been saying this in interviews for 18 years. So you don't, you've internalized my voice. So, you know, do you know what I mean? Like I have, I because I'll tell you something. I'll tell you when I didn't know you and I saw something written by you that said Pro Tools is the work of the devil. One of the way, one of the reasons I met Larry Crane was a mutual friend of ours, Nancy Hess, who I used to play in a band with. I was in Portland. I think I was at Burbati's Pan. Yeah. Nancy introduced me to Larry and, uh, she was like, oh, Larry, Larry's the editor of Tape Op. And I said, um, I made a, not a derogatory comment, but I made a critical comment of you. And I said, I think John Vanderslice is, <laughs> is the uh, devil. <laughs> no, is, is, is full of shit on this Pro Tools yeah. thing. And he, and he said, well, okay, fine. Why yeah. don't you come and write for Tape Op and write your yeah. opinion of the whole thing? And that started it. And then I met you and I realized, wow, this guy's really actually super fucking nice. And, and I like you. And the thing is, too, is that we now realize that, like, you want oppositional thinking. Do, do you know what I mean? Because it makes you think about your system totally differently. Do you know what I mean? It's like... It does, you, but it also gives me an appreciation for for your thinking and your way of doing things here and an appreciation for that. Yeah, yeah. And I would say this, that I would be truly evil if I owned the only Pro Tools systems in America. <laughs> but, but so, in other words, like, you get where I'm going, right? Like, right. Like, like, you, we, if we took a walking tour of the mission we would be running into Pro Tools systems on multiple, you know, HD systems on every block. There's so many functional basement studios and of just even people that I know. Sure. You know, so that's what I always tell people. It's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a very extreme voice. It's true. One, I grew up in the suburbs of D.C. watching the greatest political trolls manage the conversation. Listen, Trump is a top-level troll. Newt Gingrich, tr top-level troll. Pat Buchanan. I grew up with these people. Listen, I mean, Ronald Reagan, you've you seen one Redwood, you've seen them all. You know, I mean, he's trolling people. You know what I mean? He was right. trolling me because I, I never wanted to light into someone more than when I heard that, you know, like. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's a little bit of, I mean, I am, you know, I bait people a little bit. There's no doubt about it. And, <laughs> and there's no doubt about that I fly a flag very visibly. But I also do believe that there's nothing worse than when you don't know where someone's coming from. D do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like, I'm not here to serve what you want. I'm, this is not a diner where we have like 90 m menu items. You right. know what I mean? Like, right. this is like, you sit down and we, you know, this is like some mad sushi dude, Jiro or whatever his name is. Some dude just brings you the, the, the menu. And like that, which it's fine. It's just one way of doing it. You know, we, yeah. we, we, pres we take more instruments out of bands hands than I, I would guarantee you than any studio on the West coast. I mean, I, I'm just telling you this proudly that we go every single session, we go out there, no offense. I love you. You're an awesome, you're a really good player, but you need to eBay that guitar like now. And here's a 67 SG enjoy you know and right. and we back it up by by spending tremendous amounts of money on equipment and i saw for years all of my reactionary kind of thinking came from watching what happened in my own studio for a decade where i was like i don't agree with that i don't agree that the engineer is not in that room telling the drummer that like there's like ghost kick notes like the, there should you know you have to let's have an adult conversation here let, let me interrupt you and say the I think that that makes sense because in analog recording, there is no undo. There's no, it's just, you It know, rewards getting things correctly. You have to get it right. Yeah. But then the greater question would be that all of the patches and all the fix that fixes that the digital world offers us, is that 
is it good enough? I mean, that's a, it's a rhetorical question. It, I, you know, my, my answer is 100% no, it's not right, good enough. But, right. but I mean, it's, I gotta tell you, I run into so many situations that analog tape has its, to me, and I don't want to get into an analog digital, you know, boxing match with you. Uh, but I will say that, um, there's a lot of bands that have not near enough talent to be recording on analog tape. But I, but I would, I would say that there's a surprising thing that, that happens, and you've probably seen this too, is that, first off, people are very smart, they're resilient, and they operate under pressure. Like sometimes the best things that we do yeah. are when there's things on the line where things matter, there's a red light. You look into the window, there's a red light. There's not a dude just hitting a space bar and collecting data, mm-hmm. right? Like it's like the NSA, <laughs> you know what I mean? Scraping the internet, you know what I mean? Like, like literally, I remember once in another studio... I was doing backup vocals and the dude was just like starting and stopping like trigger finger on the space bar, like stopping and start. I was, I didn't even know when we were in or out or what he was keeping or what he wasn't. And I just started phoning in my performance. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I was literally like, he's, I know he's going to alt. I know he's going to alter whatever I'm doing. I don't trust in anything that's happening right now. So I'm just like, Oh, you know, instead of actually like, you know, swinging and like listening and like and closing my eyes and actually giving it everything i had you know what i mean because i care i don't care if anyone hears the record you know what i mean but see i I, think i think it's a workflow thing and i think that there are people that abuse the daw yes and i i came from a tape background i started on tape the bands that i uh had record label record deals with we did them on tape yeah so i that that workflow i think is something that I inherently have, and maybe that's why I, I defend well, the, the, other thing, the DAW. And, and listen, clearly, listen, I'm a hip-hop guy. 50% of everything I listen to is, like, strictly some pretty low-res, you know, I'm listening to, like, the ill mind of Hobson on, on YouTube right now. So it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like you go to my house yeah. and I've got, like, a $60,000 turntable. I do have a killer VPI turntable. Oh, yeah. And I listen to a lot of music in super high-res, but I listen to a lot of down-and-dirty shit, man. I mean, I like really fucked-up, noisy music, and I like, again, 50% of what I listen to is hip-hop, yeah. you know? And, like, so... I mean, I, you know, Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib record, that is like one of the dirtiest <laughs> records ever. I don't know made. that. Oh, it's great. It's, re- it's great. I got to check that it's, out. It's really great. Um, it's called Pinata. It's very good, right? You have to edit it. There's a lot of, there's some filler on there. I but. think that what I dislike, like when I am in, in the DAW environment and I hear the character and the flaws and I'm like, no, 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 we got to keep that. The band is usually the first one to say, well, no, let's just chop it out. Well, and that bums that's, me out. And that gets to a philosophical you know, so this is this is a bigger issue of workflow, and and so there's two things, two camps, and we shouldn't stay on this because this no, is a tired, boring. Get, yeah, we I, should I get actually past. hate when people. I don't like it when pro analog people come to me and talk to me like I'm. It's it's almost like like I'm a neocon, but like a white supremacist comes and talks to me. Do you know what I mean? Like we have different reasons for believing that like whole cultures should be wiped out. You know what I mean? Right. Like like so often when the analog purists come up to me, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Like I don't, I don't listen to fucking old timey music. Twenty, I like weird shit. I like cut and paste. I like what a computer promised us it could do. Mm. I just don't think it sounds good. I, we a b pro to. I have to. I'm mixing this record. I will have to do safeties of all the twenty four track masters and the instrumentals and the half inch pack of pay. That means that I have to just click one knob over and 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 listen to them over and over again. So in other words, we're talking about a molted signal, same length of Mogami cable. 
to the 102 and listening back from the repro head of the 102 and listening back from Pro Tools. So I listened to the difference, just the pure fidelity. Everything is equal. A equals A. The fidelity difference to me, completely 100% unacceptable. Totally unacceptable. This is my life. Mm-hmm. This is all I think about. I want to do the best work I can for bands. To me, that is completely unacceptable. Now, Keith O'Johnson, yes, my favorite engineer. He's all digital. Works with Pacific Microsonics Converters. Makes the best classical records. Oh, listen to his Bro- Bruckner 9. I was listening to his his um, Hindemith last night. It's unbelievable. It's really, it's beautiful recording. Some of the most interesting low end I've ever heard in a symphony hall. Beautiful stuff. Um, And so digital is going to be amazing one day. It's going to be fantastic. There's nothing inherently wrong with digital. Now, the workflow stuff is almost a separate argument altogether. Yeah, You know what I mean? But this is just the last thing to put a bow in this, then we'll never return to this again. Absolutely. Every single time I work with bands, and I do this all the time. They've never, ever been on a tape machine. They're terrified. Often they're not very good, really, honestly. they If we saw them live, they'd be like, oh, it's another indie rock band. They've been playing together for two years. They're like, their their performance is, you know, somewhere in the B minus, C plus range. You know, they're not shredders or they're not conservatory people. But something happens when you look at someone square in the eye and you're like, we're going to do a take. We're not going to punch on this take. We're going. We're not going to keep multiple versions of songs, which I never ever do. I also never allow bands to hear back with um, takes ever. It's a total. I've had this rule for eight years. I never allow a band. Now, of course, bands will strong arm me once in a while, but the general rule, which I adhere to, is I'll never allow someone to listen back. So they ha- if they don't trust me, they're, they're in the wrong room. They shouldn't be here. You mm-hmm. know, and you're you're on a basketball team. Your your coach tells you you're gonna do a pick and roll or screen and pop. That's what you do. And if you don't do it, then you don't play. You know what I mean? It's just like you have to have a coach. You have to have a system. You have to. Those are the teams that win, you know? Yeah. And so when I tell bands, it's amazing. They do so much better work. They actually do. They they become different creatures. They play better. They sing better. They act like it matters. And the results are fantastic. And I, I that's why I'm hooked on it. Fidelity stuff, yes, but the workflow that we're not adding time to go down the editing black hole. You, you, we know this. You edit one snare, you're going to edit a lot of snare hits. You move one, everything gets unstable. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? And it, like, and again, what does being in time mean? You know what I mean? Is, is, is um, Sonny Rollins in time? I, I, don't, I don't know. Is Miles in time? Do, do you know what I mean? Right. Is, is he like... I, I don't know. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, is I mean the, the variation in the in the in the tempos that um, Leonard Bernstein would do with with, for instance, Mahler Nine, just on that the last movement. Sometimes that thing would creep up to thirty minutes. Sometimes it'd be twenty three minutes. I mean, this is a completely different performance here. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways to think about what art means, what its rules are, mm-hmm. and I mean. Are can good music- musicians? Yeah, I guess so. But there's a lot of really rough playing in those records, and it's awesome. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, and it, I think it, it just goes back once again to to workflow and 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 the coach and the philosophy yeah. of the coach involved. Yeah. So that's being said, I, I, I this system doesn't work for everyone. Right. That being said, but but the last thing I'll say is that many many bands thrive when they're very terrified they're not going to thrive in the system. Yeah. Self reliance. Yeah. Okay. So you borrowed money from your mom to get this console. You yeah. borrowed money from clients and yet you still ran out, right? We ran out. So the 
the first money I got, I took out 158 from my house. And that was basically a second mortgage, which again, you know, you, you Google, should I do a second mortgage? And it's just <laughs> no. like, it's like, no. You ask so you Siri should. and Siri says no. <laughs> she says, absolutely not. So that was the first money that I got. So basically I hired a crew and then I just delayed every month. I was like, oh, uh, maybe next month, maybe four months from now. Um, so I got the 158 and I c- called up the crew and I was like, okay, I have the money. They said, well, you know, since you've been dawdling here, Oakland has had like a crazy construction boom. So you're going to have to wait for six months for us to start. It wasn't their fault. They were, I mean, it's amazing that they were even giving me just six months because I'm low on the totem pole for the kind of stuff they could have done. They, you know, they're being asked by restaurants, hotels, you know, tech companies, you know, YouTube is building all these studios now, like these, you know, these like film studios in Oakland for like YouTube, uh, you know, like, uh, Vloggers, what do they call? I don't know. They're like YouTubers. Yeah, YouTubers. And they're cute. You know, they're generating more cash than all of us put together. You know what right. I mean? Like so so I had to wait. Right. But I had already rented the space. So I I would say that I rented that warehouse for maybe a year and a half before I could even get the 158. Because I had to change my income. I had to do all these things to reapply for a mortgage. I didn't make enough money. So I had to claim all this income and then pay extra tax on all this income. So it's like a crazy, you know, like domino effect to get like a second mortgage. It's really hard. So I got the money, got Brian lined up. And then I would say from the day he started, it was probably more than two years from when I rented the warehouse. So I'd been paying rent for two years before the construction started. So then that 158 probably lasted two months. Because oh, you have to buy drywall and you have to buy framing and you have to hire consultants and you have to like, you know, we had an acoustic consultant. We had an architecture firm, Arab, you know, did the design of the studio. So you have to have blueprints made. And it's like, you know, the money goes very quickly. So then that started, that was about, I want to say a year ago that that money ran out. And then that started in the past year was just running out of money and then borrowing money, borrowing money. I never took out a credit card. That was like the worst thing I could have done. So borrowing money, borrowing money, and then there would be these like moments of euphoria that anyone can relate to where I would like borrow 50 grand and I would be like, I'm sitting on top of the world, man. I got like, 50 grand. Yeah, I got 50 grand. And then I would get a bill from the electrician for 21 grand. And then it would be like, oh shit. Okay, I've got 29 grand now. And then you'd have payroll. Well, my payroll, when when we're at full, we're, we have three people now on, on staff. When my payroll is um, full, it's seven people. So it's something like eight grand a week. So like eight grand every week that you're going. And then I'm paying Gary on the side to refurbish the Neve. So we put about 60, 70 grand into the Neve. Rewired the whole thing, like redid the entire electronics of the console. I mean, we redid everything. We demodded it. We took it back from its LA ridiculousness up into, you know, better than spec, probably. I mean, it's really, really fine right now. Um, redid the patch bay completely it's recapped um and we rejoined the consoles gary rejoined the consoles and gary's fantastic um and he tested every single module the assignment the routing and the mic pre uh module so the money would run out and then i would scrape together money well a couple twice i couldn't make payroll and we lost crew and they just stopped working it wasn't their fault. They're awesome. They're great people. And they, they didn't want to do it. They felt sorry for me. But I was, I, I was running out of options. So I just kept, I was on Twitter all the time, loan me money. I mean, that's pretty amazing. That's, some, that's a low point, man. You know, when you're, when you're asking like, you know, people who really, you know, probably got unfollowed like crazy when I would say that stuff. You know? 
And like John's asking for money again. Again. And so we finally got a couple big pieces of the puzzle, a couple clients. And, an, and then a, a great benefactor that was like a guy who had played his club a bunch of times. He's fantastic. Um, so those things came together. And now I think I have, if I go to my, my thing, I think I have $8,400 left in the bank account. That's it. No more loans. 8,400. Well, and you did the, you did the, uh, oh, the Kickstarter helped did the tremendously. Kickstarter. Yeah. That was, that netted about like eight, uh, one, 112,000. But that was, that was at a point where that money came in when the crew was off work. So they had stopped working because there were no more money. Once that money got on, there were so many invoices sitting around. I want to say that that 100 was gone in maybe two weeks. Because you just had to pay everybody off. Had to pay everyone off. And I had all these open invoices. And then I did some smart stuff. I I started buying stuff I knew would really hurt. So I bought a rebuilt Spitz ATR. Actually, I sent it to them and had it redone. And then, you know, it's eight grand, you know, because I, I sent to my own deck. And then I bought some ATC speakers. I bought some stuff that I knew I would never be able to afford unless I had this big chunk of money. I bought two Studer 820s. I bought um, an Ampex MM1200 and an Ampex uh, 440 that were both rebuilt by Michael Spitz before he died. What? Just out of curiosity, why, why did you buy those? Why didn't you just stick with the Studers? Because I'm insane. And because I'm going to move now to two-inch 16-track. So I'm going to... Hey, listen. If I'm going to talk the game, you know what I mean? Like, oh, sure. Like, like, like I, I, then follow through on it. You know what I mean? Go to the extreme point. You know what I mean? If you're going to be a drug addict, then be Hunter S. Thompson. Be Keith Richards. You know what I mean? If you're going to be... If you're going to be a, an engineer, be Nigel fucking Godrich, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, my favorite person I like on the planet. I like to be the best drug addict, drug addict you yeah, can. <laughs> or be the best, or, or if you're going to be a, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be a baker, be Josie Baker. You know, I'm trying to be good. I want to be, and I want to be good f- so people benefit from it. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I mean, it's like, I want to, I want to put a two inch 16 track so then engineers can, can use it in the studio. I want to have these ATC speakers so they can make better decisions about what they're doing in the control room. Mm-hmm. I, I want to, ha- you know, Bob Hodes tuned the control room twice already because I want to have them, them get accurate information back from the acoustic space. Um, you know, I have Brian Hood really does, ended up being the designer of the studio. You know, I, I want him to be happy with me. I want him to go back into the studio and make a record with his own band. You know, I want the feedback loop to be, it's a small world. We only have so many friends. We're only on this planet for so long. I just want to do good work. And I want to be, I want to make my mom proud. And I want to, you know, I want to have my friends like be, I want to elevate what we're doing as much as I can. I talked to Eli a little bit about the, uh, about FM recorders and new, improved, and tiny existing in the same building. Yeah. And I saw the benefit in it, and he told me that he had a lot of people say, you're absolutely crazy. No, I, I think it's totally beneficial. I, I think it's too. absolutely beneficial. And I don't... And it's funny because Eli, it, he t- pitched to me that we, he's like, hey, I think it's really smart to have... You know, think about you go to like the garment district. You know, you go to the diamond district. You go to 24th Street. There's like wonderful bookstores now on 24th Street, you know. You have press and you you have like there's four used bookstores now, there now. I don't I don't think that Ritual and Four Barrel being on the same street is a problem. You know what I mean? You get hooked on these things. We need we need studios for oh, every studio does something well and they don't do hey we i've clearly taken myself out of a huge part of the game by being a, a snob about pro tools you know this is good you know what i mean it because it's i'm not just like like bullshitting the client i'm trying to focus my energy on one thing and do it right and do mm-hmm. it correctly and there's plenty of room for every type of, we need 
big studios. We need expensive rooms and we need we need like studios that are hybrid warehouse spaces, rehearsal spaces, studios. We need all of it. And I think that if anyone's in a recording studio, we're winning. Do you know what I mean? It's like it doesn't matter where it is that they're even in a studio looking at, at, a, at an engineer behind glass. Yeah. And 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 concentrating on what they're playing and also like enjoying the input from a very smart collaborator then we've won what would you do if the shit hit the fan here i mean you'll have oakland are you planning for i'll just call it the real estate apocalypse well it it will happen i mean certainly it'll happen we're in the mission and we're we're on land that's zoned for live work okay so there's some anomalies and some you know, there's a family that owns it that that is split on selling the property, but one day they won't be split yep. on selling the property, you know? I mean, if we could imagine something precious to us and the, the amount of money being, uh, you know, just too high. <laughs> like, I mean, one day we'll be gone. I mean, one day, listen, San Francisco is one of the most fucked cities in America. I mean, this place is cursed, man. It's like, it's, it's, it's cursed. It's, it's like, I mean... Seven by seven, it's beautiful, it's geographically blessed. But man, when Twitter came knocking on Market Street, I, I didn't know what that meant at the time. I really didn't. And listen, I accept life. I accept everything. The only thing I don't accept is I, I, climate change is happening, but that's the one thing that we sh- cannot accept. Everything else in the world, I'm completely zen about. Like it, Twitter came on, came to market and... Salesforce, and then all of a sudden, Airbnb, everyone's here in San Francisco, and like, all of a sudden, every single band that I was giving a tour to was in Oakland, or Point Richmond, or San Leandro, or somewhere else, or not here at all. Mm. And then, you know, it's still, we've always had a a contingent from out of town, but I would say about 40% of people that record here don't live in the Bay Area at all. But that 60% has just, it's rare, it's an anomaly to find someone that lives in San Francisco. They live with their parents. Um, so, I, you know, I accept whatever happens down here. I, I re- I've had a great run. It will happen for right now. We're super solid down here because of, you know, that they're just not in the process of selling. And selling a large commercial property in San Francisco takes a long time. It would take years to put together this deal. But it would, you know, there's a lot of artists down here, man. There would be a lot of other people. In other words, I wouldn't feel sorry for myself. I would feel really bad. There's some really cool people down here. I would feel really bad for the engineers because probably my favorite thing in the world is is employing people that I love. If you get another couple of years out of this place and then it, then the real estate monster comes at you, that's a pretty good run, man. It's a good run, man. I mean, you 20 years, and it's I, great. You know, I talked about it with John Cunaberti in the podcast. We both said you're absolutely stone cold crazy but if anybody that could pull it off you'd be the guy most definitely because look at your track record so i mean if i can at least offer you know i know that you've i'm sure you've had some moments of like despair of like what the fuck am i doing i would say this year has been one of the worst years of my life for sure there's been like un profound unhappiness listen you have an ego problem you have a hole at the center of your of your like psyche if you're just overextending yourself and building studios over and over. Do you know what I mean? I mean, there's just no doubt about it. There'd just be moments where it'd be like, what's wrong with me? Why do I need to do this? Now, once I'm on the other side of it, 
I walked in the control room two days ago. The so- the base traps are up, the soffits are up, all the reclaimed wood that Dave Gantz and and Claire put up. And there's like the they cut out all these Playboy, old Playboys, and so there's these nudie girls behind the like the knots in the wood. And you know, there's like dimmable, there's these beautiful variac dimmers, these like I tried massive, to get you to buy know, those dimmers. But, but, but they're cheap. You know, there's someone making them now, custom making them, and they're so cheap. Oh you know? gosh. Um are you still selling them? Yeah. I still okay. Have okay. Them. Keep that in mind because I think we need them for the live room. Okay. Okay. Um, but and I'll go cheap. That'd be awesome. And so I walked in there and it's like it looked like a control room. The flooring was done. The machine room was done. Um, you know, there's AC in there. It's like it's it's just a different level than what we've been able to provide. We didn't have AC in the studio for 14 years. So does it feel a lot different than? Climate change is killing us, man. Even in the Bay Area, it's it's climate. Change. We didn't even think about air conditioning in the. Well, beginning. but I mean, just oh, like, sorry. <laughs> See, look, I'm back on climate. You're change. back I'm on ter- climate. Change. I'm terrified, man. We're, we're gonna die. It's hey, gonna man, be I terrible. Have, I have two kids, man. I'm worried and, about it too. It's awful. But go ahead. Let's not talk but, about climate change. <laughs> let's not talk about climate change or uh, or or Pro Tools in tape. No, I'm kidding. Hey, that. we did good on Pro Tools. No, I know. But the feeling, the you vibe. can stab my photo later, <laughs> dude. I'm not going to stab your photo. I don't have. I don't I've have the animosity some, like, against terrible you. Terrible emails from people. <laughs> I really gotten a lot of anger. Yeah, I, I I don't. I like debating it with you. It's fun. Um, but the feeling, the vibe, does it, is it similar? Is it? Is oh, it's it's awesome. It's very similar. The wood, you know, the, Claire and Dave did all the design in here. So we work the same crew. Brian built the B room. He's building the C room. The same vibe is there. A lot of the same gear is really there. I mean, we'll have like, you know, I just got a Lexicon 200. We'll have um, four Ampex 351s. Of course, we'll be leaning on the console a lot more there, but we have an EMT plate that we got from the Wally Hyder plate that right. we got from, from Broken Radio. Um, and so it's just more real estate. It's it's like a room where you hit a, you know, we put a snare drum in there the other day and it's it's a room. It's like actually the, the walls are far enough away where you're not just looking for diffusion and absorption to deal with your problems. It's actually you have a reverb tail. And now it's our job to make that reverb tail even. There's a bump in about five, six hundred cycles right now. You know, we have Manny Lakaruba tuning the room. He's fantastic. Really? Yeah. He's been a big deal for us. And so he's like, we're, we're building these bass traps, these mid traps. We're doing a lot of diffusion in the live room. So there's a lot of stuff coming online where we're actually going to, you know, shoot for a classic, even reverb tail, uh, you know, of like Ocean Way B standards. You know what I mean? That's what we're, what, that's really the size of the room, not huh. the string section, but the main live section of that room, which I was just in when I was in LA, just a beautiful studio. Yeah. Now it's United. It's just fantastic down there. Yeah. I was um, I, I recorded at uh, in I think in A in, oh, that's in the nineties. Uh, yeah. yeah, you told me about that. Yeah, when they were ringing up the budgets, right in the good old days. <sighs> oh, the tape budget. I mean, the t- the amount of tape lying on the floor. Oh God, it was Shit. crazy. I think I asked you pretty much everything. Yeah, I, the, you, I wanted you asked to ask great you. Great questions. Are you getting hungry? I could eat a, in a little bit. Do you want to get some lunch later? Yeah. Oh, killer! You got any coffee? Oh, fuck yeah, dude! Come on, let's fill you up. All right, John Vanderslice of Tiny Telephone Studios. Great talking with John. Good information there. I hope you enjoyed that. We are out of time. So uh, do want to make sure you do know that our music is provided by Cliff Truesdale. Somewhere here. Is it coming? Oh, there it is. All right. Hey, and you know, social media and additional audio support is Cole Williams. Chuck Smith is the uh, voice announcer there at the top of the show. And uh, of course, want to thank our sponsors, Gearsluts.com, Audio Technica, Universal Audio. And of course, I want to thank you. I appreciate you listening and uh, I'll catch you next week. Take care.
Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out. 